0: Hi, this is Matt, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who loves bluegrass. My guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is George Jackson. Um, George was IBMA Momentum Instrumentalist of the Year in 2022. He is an awesome fiddle player, and I have it on good authority. He was a competitive Highland dancer until the age of 21. But neither of those things are what we're going to talk about today, because George has been working with Tristan Scroggins on a project to record 100 old time tunes in a day and release them. And that is a fascinating thing to talk about. So, George, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, Yes, it's true. I I did Highland dancing for a long time, but uh, that's all I'll say. (laughs) Wonderful. I'm not going to
0: ask you about that, so don't worry. Um, I mean, the, the obvious first question is, why did you record 100 fiddle tunes in the space of a day?
1: I know um it's 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 an absolutely crazy prospect and uh something that I personally probably wouldn't have ever thought to do myself but um we're all very lucky that uh Tristan Scroggins uh has much more interesting ideas than uh than I do uh so I guess he sent around a message to a bunch of friends and was like I want to record 100 tunes in a day. And we were all just like, that's crazy. Why would we do that? Um, and that he was looking for people to, to maybe go in on it with him um, financially and, and otherwise. And I, I, it didn't take me long to sort of figure out that that would actually be a really, um, a really great project to be involved in um, because, both Tristan and I run these like lessons platforms and uh, a list of a hundred jammable tunes is, is a really valuable resource. So, um, so I just decided I was, I guess I was uh, the, uh, the only crazier, crazy, slightly less crazy person, but, uh, but crazy enough to jump on board with, with Tristan, with the idea. Um, so we started working on it together. Um but uh, the, secret, the secret is that we didn't quite record it all in one day. Um, I think it was about an, a week before we would were going to do the big session, and I was like, you know, I really think that we should try and get a head start on this stuff because that's so many tunes. I started doing the math. I was like, if it takes us five minutes to record um, one tune and we had You know, we have five minutes in between or whatever. I started, like, doing the math on that, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is (laughs) a really long time. Um, So I think we got together, like, a night before, um, or maybe it was uh, two nights before the big session, and we just sort of got as many done um, at our engineer's house as we could, which I think we ended up doing 22 that first night. And then <laughs> seventy eight in the big session, which is still an absurd number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I read somewhere
0: that you recorded um that, that big session at James Key's house in his living room.
1: We did, yeah. Um James was uh was gracious enough, I guess, to to think that this was a fun idea also, and uh, you know, was down for us to use his space. Um and And we, you know, something that that Tristan really wanted to uh, have be a part of this project was have it be kind of a uh, organic like house party jam, you know, not a sterile recording environment. So it really was still functioning as a house. James's roommates were uh, coming and going and, um, you know, people were cooking food and, in the space we were recording and um friends were coming and going, playing a few tunes, you know, dropping and playing a few tunes, heading out again um all day long. So there's, there's tons of sort of Nashville um picker friends that are peripherally um playing along as well.
0: And it's, it's interesting because these are like, particularly it's old time tunes, isn't it? Rather than, rather yeah. than bluegrass, that's the angle we have gone for. And there's such a, you know a strong thread of that music being social music anyway um to a Absolutely. certain extent it's you know, fundamental it's... yeah and mm-hmm. so there's something about i mean these they sound i've heard the first 20 which you put out so far and they sound great it doesn't sound like you know somebody's stuck a mic up and tape to jam in a pub or somebody's kitchen it's out you know it's they, they sound great and it's balanced and it's you know it's clean and it's all there but it's definitely got a kind of group feel about it
1: yeah um and, and certainly it's not the sort of thing that I've ever uh, done it in, in a recording session before where there's literally only one chance because um, we just didn't have time, you know, to, I mean, I think a couple of times we might have like, there might have been a big enough mistake where we started it again or whatever, but it, that was very rare. Most of the time it was like any mistake was was kind of like well that's going to be on there so there's plenty of uh, funny bits but it's fu- you know it's funny when in that sort of setting in a sort of old time jam setting you don't really hear most of that you know it comes and goes so quickly and it's just part of the the group din you know that's happening and no one really hears that in a jam session either you know it's just um it's just part of it and it makes it more authentic sounding i guess well, it's really interesting because
0: people like me who are learning to play instruments, like, you know, one of the biggest hurdles people have to get over to go to a jam is, like, this fear of making mistakes and getting it wrong. And, you know, and and that's not the point at all, is it? But that's, you know, so many of us are afraid of
1: that. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but, of course, the only way to learn is to make mistakes, you know. Um, so... Yeah, uh, I I often encourage students that that are working with me. Um, yeah, that you just you have to put yourself in those situations um, and get used to making mistakes in front of people because uh, that's the only way it's going to happen. It's the only way you're going to move forward.
0: And like, there's a, obviously there's a there's an educational element to this. You're talking about putting them on your sort of teaching site, and Tristan's putting mandolin versions of them on his as well, and. Was there a sort of particular reason with the old time? Do, does it do, you, and I don't know enough about this, but is is there plenty of opportunity out there to hear decent educational recordings of bluegrass tunes and modern recordings of bluegrass tunes? Is finding old time stuff a bit more difficult?
1: It's an interesting... Um, gosh, this is a whole... There's so many directions uh, to go with this question. Um, I think there's less tunes uh that are jam standards in bluegrass because people um spend a lot of time learning to solo over those tunes and soloing is a big um you know that takes a lot of time you know so when you're focusing on playing old time music you're focusing on on the groove and, um, and bowings and, and all of that sort of stuff. But the tune is the tune. And once you've learned that you tend to move on and learn a new tune. Um, and you know, while you're working on all of these, these groove elements or bowing elements or whatever, and moving on and learning a new tune can really help you come back to the one that you were learning before with a new lens too. um, I guess uh, part of the barrier to entry for old-time music specifically is that um, when you're new to playing old-time music, uh, I think it can be really daunting to know which tunes to learn. And then when you go find those tunes or, you know, people are like, go listen to Tommy Gerald or go listen to these these old fiddlers, the the recordings that you're listening to are kind of challenging to listen to when you're not used used to finding the, the gold in it, you know, they're not like at up to modern recording standards, you know, like the playing isn't smooth. It's rough. Um, you know, and I think there's plenty of examples in bluegrass music of like really beautiful sounding, um, uh, standard jammers um i think that's something that tristan and i took a lot of um inspiration from is uh the series that scott vestal did bluegrass 95 96 etc etc there's so many great standards both me and him sort of grew up listening to those recordings and they are a really great example of like wow you know if you want to hear a good version of fork a deer um, with Aubrey haney just slaying the fiddle you know like that you know there's going to be all of those standards on that series um, and they're beautifully recorded um, I think that we wanted to sort of create um, a, a lower barrier of entry like some nice sounding recordings that people who aren't used to listening to these challenging scratchy fiddle recordings which I really love. Mm. I personally really love them, but it took me a long time to learn to love them. I didn't love them at first. You know, I, I definitely was like, this doesn't sound very good, you know, and it's hard to learn from. Um, so when people are like, Oh, there's an old time jam in my community and, you know, I want to go along and I want to learn some tunes and maybe they don't want to listen to, some scratchy fiddlers, um, because they're not kind of used to that. Yeah, they haven't sort of found their way into that yet. Maybe this is a, a better way in or, or um a nice way in. Uh there's some nice recordings, they sound good. Um it's all of the jam standards that you're gonna need, probably more than than um you'll be able to get through <laughs> in a while. Yeah. Um and you know, not all of them are going to be played at your jam and maybe uh, but there'll be enough crossover. And so I think that was, um, I think that kind of uh, covers some of the, some of the directions I wanted to go with that question. Well, yeah, no, it's really, it's quite,
0: there's quite a lot of stuff in there to unpick and just, you know, one of the things I hadn't thought about is of course, there are lots of versions of the bluegrass tunes because every new generation of pickers comes along, wants to put their stamp on them because there is so much improvisation. So you can take them anywhere so you can listen to yeah, Totally. And,
1: and, and, and also because, like, um, uh, you know, a lot of the, the players will be playing the same tunes that have already been recorded. You know, it's, mm. it's Cherokee Shuffle, Forked Deer, you know, like Gold Rush. There will be all of these, um, you know, and there's a big list of bluegrass standard tunes, as we know. Like, it's not a small list. But um, but they do tend to get recycled because people want to put their spin on it. Um and And I guess that you know there is a a, a core sort of like um, collection of old time standards as well, which is kind of what we were getting at with the like here's 100, you know um, and people are you know likewise I guess putting their spin on it or re-recording those. Um, but they're maybe a little more scattered, but certainly something that um certainly something that is valued. It's a little bit of a joke that I tell um, <laughs> in my performances a lot of the time is uh, something that's really valued in old time music is um, uh, where in, in most uh, settings, you know, like people will sort of be like, play something we know um and old time music you know the sort of cool kid thing to do is like you know sort of play something we don't know mm. you know if you're playing like you're really cool if you're playing these like really obscure interesting versions that no one's no one's heard before so um that can be kind of intimidating um yeah and that is that
0: as it took me a while to get my head around when i started listening to this music to sort of understand what the differences between bluegrass and old time were and the obvious thing is that, you know, old time feels much more to me, like Irish music, where the melodic instruments play the tune mm-hmm. many times. Everybody else backs them up. And and you might put tunes together in sets, but you're not kind of wandering off improvising around them and go around the circle and everybody takes a break. It's much more of a collective. And it's like you were saying before, it's a, much more about a groove and a sort of collective feel than individual
1: playing, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um although certainly one of my um uh pet subjects is, you know, like I love to challenge the notion that old time and bluegrass music are fundamentally that different. Like they're kind of the same. Um in a lot of ways. I mean, look, there's lots that is different about them, but there's lots that's the same. And Mm. especially when you get back to a certain time in, um, in music before um, bluegrass was like a named genre, Um, you know, there's plenty of uh, banjo players that were playing with picks in old time music. You know, I think the sort of revival in the sixties and seventies, really brought about the claw hammer sort of um you know this is this is what old time music is but you know there's lots of picked banjo there's lots of um uh, you know like kind of flat picked guitar backup you know there's mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff in there that's um that's really similar and um when you listen to like michael cleveland slaying an uh, awesome bluegrass fiddle tune uh, it's all about groove and that's, you know, that's kind of an old time, uh, aesthetic, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, there's lots that I, there's lots that I like to kind of, I don't know, just, um, I guess I like to, to challenge the idea that they're very clearly defined as like separate things when there certainly was a time when, um, when that that was less so and you know because bluegrass was wasn't a named genre and was um only just sort of beginning the only fiddlers that were around were fiddlers that played old time music so like mm-hmm. you know uh bluegrass music kind of absorbed old time music as a part of it um uh you know like kenny baker when you listen to some of his records, you know he doesn't solo on on a lot of the tunes. He just plays the tune over and over. That's mm-hmm. old time music, you know. Um, why is that not old time music? It, it kind of is. Um, yeah. So, and and one of the funny things that that I notice when I go to old time music conventions is that um, uh, it's become really popular to kind of play really early bluegrass at those places a way in which like a, a type of bluegrass music that you don't really hear at bluegrass festivals so often. Um, you know, you, you get this funny thing where um, maybe people are playing bluegrass music a little closer to how early Bill Monroe um, and Stanley brothers, et cetera, did at old time music conventions. And then at IBMA and bluegrass music conventions, Uh, the sort of, like, very cool thing to do is to play Clawhammer banjo and (laughs) um, play old-time fiddle tunes. (laughs) So (laughs) things start getting real muddled up.
0: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And I was going to ask because, like, and maybe you've unpicked a bit of that there, and maybe this question doesn't make so much sense, but I'm curious as to whether the instrumental roles differ slightly between what people think of as bluegrass and old time, because just the idea of Tristan playing the melodies you know, like, is is there traditionally a melodic role for a, an instrument like mandolin? And, like, would the guitar be generally a backup instrument in old time? And is there is there a sort of stylistic difference in the way people play stuff beyond the ornamentation and the, the rhythms and things? Is there, like, the actual role of the instruments, does that differ that much? We'll be right back with you just after this. Collings Guitars has been a long-time supporter of the bluegrass community, from collaborating with artists to sponsoring festivals big and small, and now by sponsoring Bluegrass Jamalong. Handmade in Austin, Texas, every Collings guitar and mandolin that leaves the shop is built from the sound-up, and the team loves seeing a Collings in the hands of players of all levels, from local musicians to world-renowned pickers. Visit collingsguitars.com for more. This episode is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, the home of Roots Music Instruction. With 65 streaming video courses for guitar, mandolin, banjo, fiddle, dobro, bass and ukulele from some of the leading names in acoustic music, Peghead Nation has something for every picker. You'll learn the tunes and techniques you need to join in at jams and play the music you love, plus advanced techniques like improvisation, theory and ear training. Your first course is just $20 per month and you can add more for $10 a month. Sign up for any course and get your first month free with the promo code JAMALONG, all one word. Join thousands of other players, including me, who are advancing on their instruments and having more fun playing the roots music they love at pegheadnation.com.
1: Yeah, slightly. Um, I I did a little live stream with Tristan the other day when we released the uh, album, actually, and um, uh, it was so fun playing with him. And we were sort of talking about how he um, how he plays the mandolin, like what's the what the function is in an old-time setting. And he's kind of like playing bits of the melody and kind of playing bits of chords. It's not really chopping so much, kind of shuffling along, but like catching bits of the melody in different octaves, really strikes me as like almost the role of a banjo player in an old time music setting um because like you know the classic sort of situation when you're playing with a fiddle and a banjo is that the banjo is kind of playing the melody but they're also kind of playing the chords and it's somewhere in between and that's what really makes it cool is mm. um you know uh it's neither just purely melodic or pl- purely backup it's somewhere in in the middle it's it's called it can be chordal it can be rhythmic and melodic at the same time um and that's really complimentary. And I think that's um, kind of how Tristan plays um, uh, during this uh, old time one hundred um, session. Uh, uh, as for the other instruments, yeah, like guitar, generally is is just playing chordal backup, uh, which is kind of what the guitar was doing in uh, bluegrass music when it first uh, mm. arrived, you know, it wasn't until much later that uh, guitars started playing uh, solos. Um, so whether or not you even want to call guitar soloing traditional bluegrass or not, um, you know, is a debate. And that, that furthers my uh, assertion <laughs> <laughs> that uh, bluegrass is the old time and old time is bluegrass. Um, uh you know but bass is a big part of um old time music these days but uh you you really hear it um sorry i with my new zealand accent rare, rarely rarely <laughs> kind of feel like i need to um not not really r e a l l y r a r e l y rarely hear um uh bass on like any sort of source recordings um so it's kind of a newer thing maybe maybe in, in in some ways kind of brought in by um you know the popularity of like bluegrass ensembles and and um you know so you can it's interesting to see how you know old time sometimes gives this impression that it's like this timeless like you know um archaic style, but you know it changes it it's modernized too uh it, Um, and I think bass is is part of that. Um, Mandolin, you know, there's not a ton of mandolin in in old-time recordings, but, you know, if you listen to the classic Ed Haley recordings, his wife, Ella Haley, is playing mandolin a lot of of the time, and there's other examples of mandolin playing in old-time music too, just like there is with, like, you know, piano and Mm. and accordion in old-time music, um, uh, which, you know, you you don't really see at old-time conventions. Um and yeah. Uh the fiddle is generally just playing the melody. Um there's definitely little bits of improvisation that, that kind of happen. Um, you know, variations. Um am I missing anything from no, no, uh, that makes the sense. instrument makes, list here? Yeah, we
0: talked about that sort of rhythm mm-hmm. melody style. I guess it's an interesting thing if given that Old-time music was often social music for people to dance to, and that's kind of what these yeah. tunes were for. I guess you just would play with the instrument. You might have three fiddles and two banjos. You might, like, this idea of a bluegrass band being five instruments with specific roles is a relatively mm-hmm. new thing. But with an old time, you might end up with four fiddle players or, you know, two banjo players. And, and I probably was rare to have a bass. And so if you had one, you had one, but you didn't kind of go, well, we can't do yeah. this without one. You just, whoever was there, played for whoever wanted to dance
1: yeah that this actually gets at one of the things that i i really think is a, a distinction between old time and music what what you kind of mentioned with um old time music being like primarily social and and dance um oriented um music uh really like the um when bluegrass music kind of came along it, it's like the advent of of radio you know it's like all of a sudden the function of the music is to be entertainment that's purely for uh, listening uh, across, you know, broadcast. And um, so things needed to be, be changed slightly. You know, you uh, you had to make things maybe a little snappier and flashier because, you know, people are sitting there listening and um, they're not dancing or they're not – making music with you, um, they're just listening. So, um, you know, maybe you're not going to play the tune (laughs) 20 times around, uh, you're going to play, uh, three or four times and, um, you're going to use more variation or, you know, like the sort of beginnings of soloing or, you know, the banjo is going to have a feature. Mm. Um, that's the way I, I see like old time music kind of morphing into something that, became bluegrass um is sort of the primarily oh sorry the 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 function um of of the music uh the primary function of the music kind of like shifting focus and and then you get this kind of um funny thing that's that's happening now which is um old time music as performance music right so like when i'm performing with my band tall poppy string band, or, um, you know, other like foghorn string band are are playing uh, a show for people. They have to make old time music entertaining in a way. And, um, that moves it away from it's sort of like social and dance function. um, and, it's, and you know that's where it, that's why it starts being like well like this is kind of bluegrass now right because the function is what what became bluegrass you know uh, how do you keep people's attention interested um, when they're not dancing or not engaging and playing music with you mm. um, so that's really interesting
0: <laughs> yeah and you know they say it sort of makes me laugh that whole kind of debate about whether people should dance at bluegrass gigs or not or like if the music mo- makes right. you want to move your feet move your feet but we're all, we're all yeah. sitting in our seats and we can't see if you'll get up and dance and it's like it's such a like such a full circle conversation to have but this music that sort of came out of the need for people to have music to dance to because there wasn't the radio or records or if you wanted music
1: you needed people who could play music totally yeah um yeah, but I think that's kind of why bluegrass music is like generally considered not, not particularly danceable, um, because it, you know, like its function was, you know, at least, you know, in the early bluegrass bands, um, you know, its function really was, uh, entertainment on the radio or, um, you know, on record, um, recorded music. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you also get this funny thing now where, um, you know, like the sort of danceable types of bluegrass music, which is like the jam grass, right. Um, mm. and, and, and others, you know, they bring in these sort of other danceable elements infusing it with, with bluegrass and bluegrass lineups. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like bringing reconnecting the old time part, but like through, um, through a different, uh. Avenue, perhaps, um, you know, because you've got um, other other types of dance music influence coming in. You know, whether it's like rock and roll or mm. um, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. um And it, we,
0: one of the things you touched on there was about we talked about that sort of bluegrass tunes and old time tunes. And when I first started learning tunes, the thing I found mm. most frustrating, which in the in the end I realised was liberating was working out what the actual tune is because if you want like a jazz standard there's probably Mm -hmm. some original sheet music around from whenever it was written or it came from like a gershwin show or whatever so there's like Mm this sort of is a version of the melody but trying to look like you talk about those um like bluegrass 95 96 97 records as a good source for fairly straight versions of the tunes but you know I'd be really interested to know, like, A, how you chose the 100 tunes you chose, but also did you, like, was there some pressure to choose, like, air quotes that nobody can see because this is a podcast, like, correct versions if people are going to learn these and play them at a jam? Are they learning versions that, you know, I find that fascinating?
1: Yeah, totally. No, this is a great um, question. Uh, When Tristan and I were sort of uh, conceiving of this whole idea uh, Tristan basically emailed a bunch of his friends um, uh, I, I love the way that Tristan's brain works um, and you know he really wanted to uh, to check in with a bunch of people he created this like uh, Google survey where basically he just got uh, he asked people all around the country you know like what are common tunes played at your local jam and they sort of filled it in and he basically picked the 100 tunes from sort of this data that he collected, this, uh, sort of amateur, um, <laughs> statistics data, um, you know, collection that, uh, um, yeah. So, so he sort of came to me with this list and then, um, I was like looking at this list and I was like, okay, so we've got a, the name of a tune, um, you know, big sciota or eighth of January or something. And it's like, which version are we going <laughs> to play of this tune? You know, because, yeah, yeah. um, we're, well, a we're trying to make uh, a collection of of tunes that people can take to their jam session, so maybe we want to sort of keep it towards uh, standard um, versions, but then, but then also, you know, like there was certainly times when I was like, well, I really like this other version that's slightly out of the list. So then, you know, we could maybe potentially be a little bit of play, a little bit of a tastemaker and like encourage people to play these other versions. Um, cause if they're learning that from us, then maybe we can also slightly influence, <laughs> um, you know, so, uh, so it was definitely trying to balance, but I, I took on the job of essentially uh, assigning like a source recording reference to each of the 100 tunes. So I went through and like picked a version of the tune that we were essentially going to like base our version from or, you know, like have as a reference point at the very least. Um, I'm most of the time I tried to sort of hew that close to um a version that people would um likely play um you know so not like the most obscure like you know extra bar you know or you know three four part extra you know like Mm. weird (laughs) kentucky version of of a tune but um something that you know like maybe if there is a version of of a tune um you know that you hear people jam a lot at their at, at these local jams um where did where did that version come from you know where did that um what's a version of that 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 sort of sounds like it was um passed on from so i i tried to sort of mostly do that but there's certainly some outliers where i was like well but i like this version so i'm going to i'm going kind to of, i'm going to um make that but yeah i think um yeah i I think that it's uh yeah we're playing a little bit of tastemaker trying trying to also sort of keep it recognizable um but also you know if people use it as this as a jumping off point and then they go and learn a version that they prefer or um you know uh it encourages them to be like well that's not how it sounds at my jam so like i'm going to ha- look into this you know i don't know that cannot that can all only be good stuff i i think
0: yeah no it's, i think it is already interesting because it's you know it's it, and it's that idea that um even just with improvising slightly around the melody you can create a version of the tune that is yours and you probably play it slightly differently each time you play it and, and all of that is really liberating um yeah and with the the kind of Fixing the harmony of these tunes because there's there's probably several ways you can harmonize some of them. Like even just even at a bluegrass jam, just going and playing Mm -hmm. something like Old Joe Clark, whether people Mm -hmm. like you know if you're playing an A, whether people play a G in certain places or a D behind some stuff. It's you know Mm -hmm. it's not always
1: the same. And in old time music, it's E or the E chord, um, and never the G. Yeah, (laughs) and.
0: Because there's that, there is sort of, we were talking before about how often you'd have a bunch of melody instruments, and maybe the, you know, guitar is a relatively new thing um, compared to a lot of these instruments. And the idea, this, I've had conversations on the podcast before, this idea that once guitar came along, it slightly fixed the harmonic structure of things in the way that we a bit more amorphous before and a little bit more nebulous. Mm-hmm. And you could, and like you said, with the banjo playing sort of chords and melody and often things Mm -hmm. are in things can feel slightly modal this doesn't always have to be a lockdown thing the harmony of a tune but as soon as Mm -hmm. you put chords behind it and i find that really interesting as well and when you sit down presumably without hours to rehearse these tunes together do you tend to find you're on the same page with them pretty quickly
1: yeah we would uh we would sort of have this like very quick routine but before recording each tune which was um, I would sort of like play the reference recording so that we kind of know what version we're trying to deal with. Um, and then we'd have a quick discussion about chords. And, and absolutely one of the things that I find really fascinating about chords is um, there's no one right way to harmonize something, right? Because um, when you play a note, it can be a part of a chord or a color on top of a chord in any number of, of ways. Um, so uh, we would often sort of choose, um, there would be a discussion particularly between um, uh, the bassist, Eli Broxham and um, Amy Alvey, who was playing guitar, and uh, and Frank Evans, who was playing banjo, um, and, and Tristan too, uh, on the mandolin, of course. Least... Uh, Least input from me playing the <laughs> fiddle. Um, I was just kind of <laughs> concentrating on playing the melodies. But um, but they would sort of have a have a bit of a discussion. Um, what chords are we going to play behind this? You know, and and there's there's various structures uh, that are really common in old time music. Mis- Missouri rules, um, which is kind of like a series of you know one four one five. Um, uh, that that's really common that you know like sort of tr- in traditional like old-time fiddling from from that region they'll just play behind any tune um, <laughs> you know um, it's kind of become this uh this particular style which is which is really fun and cool it's a cool sound so they would be like okay it's Missouri rules in the B part um, we're gonna go to the the four chord here or you know um, yeah so we'd have to make quick decisions basically are we going to go to the six minor or are we going to go to the four you know those are often interchangeable you going to go to the five or the two minor here are we gonna um you know like are we going to try and keep it like super traditional sounding where you know um there's generally just like a five chord um or a four chord but um uh you know like in more sort of modern recordings you might use like a flat seven or um you know a a six minor or a two minor uh, as more sort of colorful chords um and uh yeah so we would just kind of make that make those calls and and sometimes we went to the traditional option sometimes we went with the the uh, more modern option and it was we had a hundred tunes so so (laughs) You know, like, it, it runs the gamut. We, mm. It's just like, you know, are we feeling bored right now? Do we want to add some minor chords yeah. in for, for fun? You know, um, have we been holding the A chord for too long?
0: <laughs> well, it's it's also interesting just with, um, like, with these tracks, um the first 20 that are out now, there's bits of vocal on there as well, but it's very much vocal that kind of comes out of the ensemble rather than somebody on a mic singing a lead vocal.
1: Yeah, totally. A lot of these tunes, the, a lot of these melodies um, also have song elements, you know. Um, obviously, like, it's not song in the way that we think of, uh, you know, singer-songwriter songs, mm. but, um, you know, like, there's verses to a lot of these tunes, and um, it's really fun to, you know, we didn't actually have anyone set up with a vocal mic, so when you hear the vocals come in, it's usually Frank or Amy kind of um shouting verses out um it's coming through their instrumental microphones but that just adds to the um to the sort of jammy um aesthetic and um the sort of authentic uh you know jam session that it was yeah
0: yeah no i love it it, it sounds great that way and i think it's what i like about these recordings is they've got a kind of collective energy and a groove and it's you know it's um, the way they're recorded really suits it and the way they're played. And I remember talking to Tristan about this project quite a while ago when I interviewed him for something else. And, mm. um, you know, he's sort of saying that they were recorded quickly and, there's you know, he didn't necessarily know all the tunes as they were being recorded. And and I think, I've, I think I've heard him say somewhere that, like, you took a break from them and then came back and listened to them and were sort of surprised how good they were.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because they do sound I mean, great. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. Um... Yeah, we were certainly pretty surprised, (laughs) you know, when we came back around and we finally, like these, (laughs) one thing that uh, we've come to learn, which, you know, maybe we should have uh, known is that like uh, 100 tunes is a lot of digital material and it's a lot of money to produce (laughs) that many tracks, right? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, there was a long time where like we basically paid for the initial session. And we kind of put it on the back burner and, um, you know, we just had these, like I think uh, Jake Stardew who was recording it, just had the tape rolling the whole time, you know. So we just had these massive long audio files um, that weren't cut up into no the 100 tunes that they were. Um, so we had to get Jake to sort of go through and and make uh, rough cuts of all of them, you know, identify where the start and finish of any um tuners uh and so then we we got those rough cuts back and yeah you're sort of listening through to them well you know this sort, as i said before you know we're only doing about one take maybe every um every 30 or something we'd we'd uh stop one and and give it another go or something but um but you know these are coming and going so quickly and uh they all just sort of blend into one, and and you're never really sure whether or not uh, it's sounding that good, I guess. Um, but you know, like it feels good in a jam sort of setting, but like yeah. you're not sure what it's going to sound like as a recording. Um, but we were certainly pleasantly surprised, and I guess you know, we we hired some great musicians, so um, you know, uh, I think um, Frank uh, Evans, the banjo player. Such a great musician, good, really good friend of mine. Um, he's the only musician that actually stayed the course. Plays on all 100 of the tracks. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, there was one tune that I hadn't learned very well, and um, Rafe Stefanini played that by himself because he was there, and um, and so I'm on 99, and um, Frank's <laughs> on 100, and I think Tristan. Um, uh, played some bass on some and you know Casey Campbell played some mandolin on some so um, uh, he, he's not playing mandolin on all 100 but um, but uh, yeah Frank Frank managed to to beat us all across the line.
0: <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be really interesting to talk a little bit about um, the educational element and the kind of I so we talked a lot about um, you know stylistic stuff and and the music and the process, but I'm really interested in, cause you know, you've, like invested this time and this money in making these things about where they're going to sit and what, you know, how people will interact with them. Cause they're there as, you know, people can go and just listen to them and that's great, but there's so much more, mm-hmm. isn't there? There's video content and sort of transcriptions and, and like ways people can actually use this to learn these tunes.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the educational element is, is fundamental to this project. Like that's the, that's the bedrock that we' were building this on, you know saw so it we saw this sort of project as um as something that would be really valuable to people uh looking to to know what tunes to learn because that is such a um uh overwhelming um uh thing to come come to when you're just starting. <laughs> out in old time music it's you know like there's all of these tunes and which ones do you learn and where do you learn them from um i i think um you know we're we're so uh it's it's so amazing these days that you know we have access to things like you know streaming music on spotify or or youtube or whatever um but you know back in the day at least you just had to learn what you had access to Mm. um now, when you say that you're going to learn old time music, you have access to literally everything in your pocket. So that's overwhelming, you know, like it's just so daunting sometimes to like, where do you start? You know? Um, so we kind of thought, you know, this, this is a great, great thing for for people who want to know where to start. Like, well, here's a list of 100. That's going to keep you busy for a while. And, you know, I, I don't know if people will learn all 100 of these, but, like, if they learn five or ten and it starts them off and they discover um, some other recordings from there or some other tunes or versions or, or whatever, um, that's great, you know. Um, so, yeah, like, we're, we're, we'll um, release all of this stuff publicly eventually. It's going to take us a while. Um, we're sort of re- releasing it in five volumes. Um of 20 tracks, um, as we sort of get them produced. Um, but on our Patreon pages we have, um, you know, like we're, we're, um, doling out like five new tracks every month, uh, to subscribers there. So there's, um, as of this month, 50 tracks available and they're in, in a like rough edit, um, uh, like format rather than like mixed and mastered like the first 20 are um eventually you know like we'll we'll get them all uh mixed and mastered uh but that just takes uh time and money and um we haven't you know quite (laughs) got that all there yet so uh, you know we're doling them doling it out um in little bits uh to our patreon pages where uh producing video content like I recorded myself playing these tunes all 100 of them um on my iPhone sort of in an overhead position so that people can see my left hand and my right hand and maybe get ideas on like how to use the bow and um you know where my where my fingers are going down and like how I'm double stopping or or whatever uh whatever they might find interesting um, so, you know, there's all that video content that comes along with it. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I've just released the first video of that publicly on my YouTube channel as well. So, you know, I will be sort of doling out bits of that publicly as we go as well. Um, and, uh, and then also, you know, we're writing out like music notation and tablatures, um, so that if that's something that is important to the way that you learn and and that you would make things easier for you and i've always been like a strong encourager of uh ear learning you mm-hmm. know learning tunes by ear for bluegrass music and old time music or any sort of folk music um but you know there's certainly times where you know having a look at the sheet music to know give you an idea about maybe bowing or you know what notes are coming in if you're finding it difficult to to work out a particular passage or something, all of that stuff's there. So, um, we're sort of trying to, uh, have as much educational content from this as, um, as people could ever imagine. (laughs) And so the best places for people to come to
0: find this stuff, is it, I presume your Patreon page for fiddle versions and Tristan's for mandolin versions. Totally. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And if you're, if you're not a, a, a fiddle player or a mandolin player, you know, um, either one. So, you know, like there'll still be stuff on, on these, um, on these Patreon pages that, um, that are, is, are totally applicable. You know, I have, uh, music notated, like written out versions, um, that can be, you know, used or, um, you know, uh, you can slow down any of these tunes and um, on youtube and um you know learn them flat to on, on your flat pick guitar or, or whatever mm. um
0: so yeah cool and presumably that there is kind of people can buy them on Bandcamp or wherever as well to to buy the tunes
1: yeah so um you know like we we sort of have all of that stuff available to patrons um on our Patreon pages uh for $5. That's the sort of barrier to entry uh for any of the old time 100 stuff. Um but if you you know like not doing that sort of subscription stuff um and you'd want to just buy volume 1, um it's available on Bandcamp. It's also available anywhere, you know, like um on all the streaming music and stuff and um I guess you know it's a little bit the honest system, and and you know like we're just trying to get it out to as many people that it would be helpful to as possible. But if you know it's in your price range and it's in your um and you're getting something out of it, then um you know maybe subscribe to Patreon for a month or two, and um or or uh, buy it off Bandcamp. You know um, if if you're finding v- value in it, that's. Yeah, that's where we're sort of going with it. Cool. I mean, just
0: listening to them, I've been listening to them sort of this week. They've been in my head as I've been wandering around doing things. And there's some awesome. some awesome tunes in there that I didn't know, lots of tunes I didn't know. And it certainly made me want to learn some of them. Um, so, yeah, and it's I think that point you made about, uh, about how much stuff there is in the world and, like, you know, the possibility, that anything that curates a selection of things for us, I think is becoming yeah. more and more valuable because... And that's, you know, one of the traditional roles of a teacher is to, you know, you can go on any site on YouTube, wherever there's endless things about learning how to play your instrument. But then it's up to you to find the meaningful ones and having somebody just guide you and go, look, here's a selection of tunes. Here's some versions of these tunes and here's how to play them. It's, you know, it's like it's a really invaluable thing because you could flounder for hours and weeks and months and years on your own looking for this stuff. And I think it's I think it's great to have, you know, a handpicked selection
1: absolutely and you know like even the other end of that is is um you know with the access to everything that we have access to you know you could end up going on finding some things that that you really like that no one else knows (laughs) um and you know like here's a list of tunes that like we're pretty sure like you know most of these are going to be known at, at like a lot of jams you know so um yeah, it's a curated list of like, hey, um, whether you're in the UK or the US or New Zealand, um, you know, a lot of these tunes are shared. And if you're an old time musician um, and honestly, like as I sort of talked about earlier, um, you know, old time music kind of being part of the fabric of bluegrass music, you know, part of what uh, went into, you know, one of the ing- main ingredients um, in in the development of bluegrass music, um, a lot of these tunes are also bluegrass tunes or tunes that are played in bluegrass music. And, (laughs) um, and uh, you know, if you're interested in uh, finding out where these tunes came from, you know, um, that, that this is also, you know, that it's kind of digging deeper into, you know, the roots of bluegrass. And there's
0: a whole, I mean, you know, there's a whole other conversation you can go off on that route and talk about you know the tune and then some of the sort of British Scots Irish history of some of it and the same tunes having different names and there's a whole you know you could go on for hours and I find all that really interesting um but it's been really cool listening to them and I'm definitely going to learn some and it's just it's been really interesting talking about them thanks for coming on
1: that's awesome Matt yeah this was a great conversation yeah